The message for this day, the festival of the Holy Trinity, comes to us from our first reading, Isaiah chapter 6. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Imagine yourself in Isaiah's sandals. The year is 740 B.C., And God, the Lord of all creation, has summoned you in a vision of his divine presence. What's it like? The prophet's words must fail to really convey the enormity of this experience, this glimpse of God's glory and majesty. Isaiah sees the king of kings enthroned in his temple, where even the train of his royal robes fill the space. How many of you saw the royal wedding this past weekend? A few out there. There was a train there. That dress had a pretty impressive train. Now imagine a train that just keeps going and going and going, so much so that it fills the entire temple. And that's just the train. God himself is enthroned, surrounded by the six-winged seraphim, literally the burning ones, the fiery ones, standing there as an honor guard. And even the awesomeness of their divine beauty is nothing in comparison to the one whose praise they continually sing. As they call one to another, heralding the holiness of God, the whole space shakes and trembles. Isaiah, Isaiah immediately understands that he does not belong there. Holy Holy, holy, Isaiah heard the seraphim calling out around the throne of God. Here's the thing to know about Hebrew grammar. When you want to put a superlative on something, you do so by repeating the adjective. So if I say that something is, say, more holy than something else, if we're describing a space like, for example, the holy of holies or the most holy place in the tabernacle or later the temple in Jerusalem, we describe it by saying holy, holy. Think of it this way. If you were to describe the fantastic burgers, flame-grilled burgers that you're going to cook up this weekend, and you were to say that they were more tasty than other burgers that you had, or maybe even the tastiest burger, you'd add that word a couple times. So how would you describe it? Tasty, tasty. So remember this as you enjoy your tasty, tasty burgers. So when the seraphim then proclaim that God is holy, 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 it is the strongest form of superlative. The Lord is supremely holy. He is the holiest. So what is holiness? When I've asked people how they would define holiness or what it meant to be holy, usually the response people give is something along the lines of purity or goodness. But holiness is something more, though. It's something beyond purity and goodness. It's otherness. Holiness describes that which stands apart or is set apart. It describes something which is outside of the ori, outside of our regular experience, something that is unique. God is holy. And Isaiah? Isaiah is not. 
So imagine yourself in Isaiah's sandals. It's not a good place to be. He knows that he is not worthy of being in the Lord's presence. Because in God's presence, Isaiah calls out, Woe is me, for I am lost. You could also read this as saying, I am destroyed. Because Isaiah knows that he's done for. Nothing unholy has any hope in the presence of the king of all creation. Yet Isaiah has seen God. The title that he uses for God here, the Lord of hosts, has special meaning. To put it in some terms that we might better understand, it's akin to referring to God as General Yahweh, the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. It recognizes that God is the ultimate power. He is the ultimate authority above all others. And there is nothing that Isaiah can do to save himself from being obliterated by God's holiness. So how are you or I worthy to come into the presence of God, the supremely holy one? We are each people of unclean lips and we dwell in the midst of a nation of unclean lips. I know that I am not worthy to stand before you today and proclaim the glory of God, to proclaim his word to his people. But here I am. Here we are. How are we not crying out with Isaiah, woe is me? Because we should be. But what happened to Isaiah has happened all the more to you. One of the seraphim took tongs and lifted a burning coal from the altar that stands there before the Lord's throne. And with it, he cleansed not only the prophet's lips, but his whole being. Isaiah was made clean. God acted to redeem, unprompted. And he does so for you too. In place of a fiery angel bearing a coal from the divine altar, you get the very Son of God bearing a cross. In place of fire, you get the waters of holy baptism. You have come from a people of unclean lips and unclean lives, and you were made clean in Christ. Your impurity has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Your sin has been atoned for by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. You, you have been made holy. Now, I suspect that most of you are familiar with one of those passages that we read in our gospel text today. Maybe you've heard of it, John 3.16. Maybe we could say it together, for God so loved the world. That was pretty good. But how many of you are familiar with John 3.17? A verse which is as important as John 3.16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The son has not come to condemn, but to save. He has given himself for the good of all. And on this Memorial Day weekend, when our nation gives thanks for all those who laid down their lives in service for our nation in the armed forces. You and I are here today because of the holy, 
holy, holy God's work to save us, to give us a home with him. On the church's calendar, this weekend marks the festival of the Holy Trinity. And most of this weekend's services, as we are this morning, we are going to be confessing our faith together in the words of the Athanasian Creed. While it goes into some detail about the persons of the Trinity and their work, I think there's another illustration that maybe will help us to better understand how God works to bring us back into relationship with him. So imagine yourself, not in Isaiah's sandals, but standing. And as you stand, you are looking out into your future, but your back is turned to God. That's the way that we're born enemies of God, facing away from him, determined to go our own way, to go our own path. But God acts to redeem unprompted. The Holy Spirit takes you by the shoulders and turns you around, a 180, so that you turn and you see Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't let go, though, because our natural inclination is to turn back around, to run our own way, away from God, going into our own direction. And Jesus, he doesn't just stand there, but he takes your hand and he welcomes you as your brother. And he brings you in. He welcomes you, introducing you to his father. The father who has been waiting for you. The father who reaches for you with outstretched arms and embraces you as his beloved child. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work to bring you back home to where you are meant to be. You don't have to imagine yourself in Isaiah's sandals because you get to be in the presence of God today. God has given you his sacraments, his holy things that deliver his grace to make you clean, to make you holy. This weekend we get to celebrate that our Lord welcomes another young soul into his family, into the body of Christ through the gift of holy baptism. And this morning we get to gather around the table that he has prepared because the king of kings welcomes you to his banquet. He invites you into the supper that he has prepared, giving the forgiveness of sin, giving the renewal of life that we need to follow Jesus. To borrow the words of Chaplain Graham Glover, who was with us a couple weeks back, what comes next for us? What comes next For us people who have been cleansed, who have been redeemed, who have been made holy before God. Like Isaiah, you and I are called to live as messengers. We've been called, given clean lips, to go out and tell of God's love. We've been given clean hands and clean feet to go and show God's love. Who will go? Let us respond with Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. Pay attention to those opportunities that God puts before you in each new day. Chances to do good to your neighbor, to listen to them, to pray for them, to pray with them. You don't have to imagine. God acts to redeem unprompted. And he's working through you. The holy, holy, holy God is here.
He welcomes you into his presence. Amen.